What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Blister Podcast. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing, plus all of our other podcasts, over at blisterreview.com. Well, today we've got Jeremy Jones on the show. Now, Jeremy is one of the best big mountain snowboarders of all time, and in 2007, he founded Protect Our Winters, and then this Wednesday, September 16th, Jeremy is releasing a new film called Purple Mountains, and you can find and watch the trailer of the film in the show notes to this episode, or you can go to purplemountainsfilm.com. Purple Mountains is a bit of a departure from the film starring Jeremy that many of us are familiar with, but for reasons that I'll explain in this conversation, Purple Mountains happens to be one of my personal favorites. And so again, you can watch for yourself the trailer for this film, and you can find it in the show notes to this episode. Then on September 16th, you'll be able to watch the full film, but right now, you are going to be able to enjoy my conversation with Jeremy Jones. So let's get to it. Well, Jeremy Jones, how are you today and where are you today? I am doing very well. Thanks for asking. And I am at my home in Truckee, California. Excellent. And you've got this nice kind of beatific lighting going on right now. So I feel like angels should be singing and we should be hearing harps. Maybe they'll kick in in a little bit here. Yeah, I got the mountains. I got this nice tropical-esque tree. And then, yeah, a little bit of... It's nice. It's a good look. <laughs> I want to start actually with the title, Purple Mountains. I think it's kind of a fitting title for this film, but how did you get there? I got there because we've realized that there are these handful, half a dozen, say, key states that aren't dark red, aren't dark blue, but purple, that where this election inevitably is going to be decided, you know, and then I seen plenty of beautiful sunsets. Actually, the first night we were winter camping in Nevada, we were coming back late and the mountains actually went purple. I remember the first time I ever had that experience and the song Purple Mountain's Majesty clicked after a bunch of years, right? So I think that kind of double entendre of one, sometimes we do get those purple mountains and two, I think one of the really fundamental things about this film is kind of bringing together red states and blue states and red communities and blue communities. And it's like getting that purple is a spot where we kind of need to get to. Well done on that title. Thank you. Yes. Um, totally. That song, a very patriotic song. And and how do you make purple? Red, white, and blue. It's not all, you don't get to purple without all those colors and that's our flag. So, So why I think this film is really important is it doesn't start with some idea that we're just going to preach to the choir now and that that's ever going to be adequate. I think if we've learned anything over the past 40, 50 years of American history, if not longer, is that we've really got to build more of a consensus here. We've sort of lost the art of how to talk to people who aren't exactly living with the exact same belief set as you might have or as I might have. And I think that an important element of this film is 
you going through just some different conversations with folks. When did that become evident to you? Or, I mean, did you very much think about this film very much with that in mind? Like, let's just put on camera people having conversations and maybe they aren't all exactly in the same political space or in the exact same position in terms of energy or the like. Yeah, well said. Um, and I would say the, I mean, we recognize for one at Protect Our Winners, we call it the outdoor state, 50 million strong um, people that really identify with the outdoors. We maybe have different views on climate change or climate action or what have you, but we can all agree on like, yes, a healthy environment, we all stand behind. I think that at Protect Our Winners, as we realize that these say, purple states are critical for this election, I just had the realization of like, I got to go spend time there. Like me sitting in my little blue bubble in California with like-minded people complaining about the other side is just not getting it done. And so uh, really seeking out people where we have a lot in common, not everything in common, and having conversations about that and not being afraid to do that. I think that that sense of going one-on-one and going in person with someone, it was so interesting. And the film does such a nice job of this, of going up and talking with people who are very staunchly on the opposite side of some of these issues as you are. And yet, it's just interesting in these actual interactions that it's like the humanity comes back into the conversation. I was thinking about this. I mean, your own social channels, maybe more than anybody else's in the outdoor industry, is kind of sometimes, well, the opposite of that, right? Not the greatest display of humanity. In the comment section, I might add. (laughs) I found myself thinking a lot that maybe we've lost this art of how to converse with people. And as we are in an age where more and more things are happening online and there are comment sections kind of everywhere, I think that we need to see that behavior modeled more by parents, by our politicians, by athletes, by any leaders, by all of us, And I don't know. I mean, that's starting to get at a bigger, much bigger, and I think more fundamental issue. And I don't know if you have been thinking about that same thing or if you were like, well, this was my answer. Put this up in this film and just show, like literally show these different conversations. How much of that hits or or connects with what the actual motivation was for going into this film? We all are consuming a lot more media. We're all getting curated media sent to us. The algorithms have shown that the more upset we get, the more we click. So depending on what platform you're you're on, they've incentivized like getting us angry. Comment sections say in my social media, it's like, I don't think it, the written word is really angry. I don't think it's where we're putting our best foot forward in those areas as society. People will maybe never see eye to eye. I mean, I don't want to get too far into that deal, but some of them like, man, this person really likes to snowboard. They think I am like the world's worst human on the planet because I want clean air, clean water and a sustainable planet. And I'm like, I would love to just have a 
conversation in the mountains with them and see how that goes. And that's really the root of what I was hoping to do with this film. I think it's kind of mission accomplished in that sense. You do see it where people are like, hey, you seem like a good guy. And then where it looks like, and especially maybe in comments sections or something, where it goes from you're the worst and you're an idiot, you actually kind of have to start with like, oh, we both actually care about a lot of the same things. You actually seem like a pretty good guy. And turns out we're not located on absolute opposite ends of the spectrum on so many things. There was a comment that came up at least once or twice in the film where sometimes people were saying, well, I actually have a lot of shared opinions on some of the climate issues and energy issues, but I don't like the way that it seems like we start bundling in a bunch of other issues. And I kind of was like, you know what? That's fair. Totally. I'm afraid I don't have the best answer for how we change that political landscape, but I grant that point. Do you have thoughts on this or what are you seeing that either gives us grounds to be like, look, we don't have a lot to be optimistic about because we do see this kind of bundled world right now? Or are you in conversations, maybe in the work you're doing in DC, where you're like, there are rays of hope here? The harsh reality is it's like, so I go and spend some time with, you know, in one of the most conservative districts in a purple state, neighboring state, Nevada. And really, quite frankly, hit it off with these are great people. We absolutely agree on way more than we disagree on, but it's like they listen to a different radio station than I do. There are TVs on a different deal than mine. And it's like the ultimate goal, if you are a big industry, is to try to get to identity politics. And sadly, climate change has reached that like identity politics of, say, guns or what have you, where it's like, there is no way I am switching colors because this issue matters. So because it's sadly, it's like we would agree on a bunch of stuff in these conversations and then the mics would come off and be like, well, you know, there's no way I'm not, you know, like I am absolutely dark red down the line because they're going to take my guns away or what have you. And so what we really need is it not to be this political issue and to protect our winners from day one. We've said we are a bipartisan group that supports leaders that want real action on climate. And we are seeing some change to the Republican stance on climate. And we just need to see more. And it's tough to say, you know, if that's coming or not, if it's just language, but ideally what's killing real climate action is that it is this, it's a political issue. And if you're on the red team or the blue team, you have to stay in the lane and very few people cross the aisle on that. We got to figure this one out. And I don't know that it's going to figure itself out right? One related question though, is we're talking about this like art of conversation and how we go about meaningfully engaging with people who don't think exactly the same way we do, which when you say that out loud, it's like, wow, I mean, who would want to only talk to people that think exactly like that sounds terrifying and and like an awful world. I did want to ask you when Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor of California. He was really interested in sort of 
getting people to talk more about pollution than like climate change in particular. And to be honest, I kind of resonate with a number of the points he's making, right? And I wondered how much you've thought about that, how you do think about this these days. Maybe if you think that there are reasons why it actually is more appropriate than maybe Governor Schwarzenegger at the time was suggesting to like, let's not lose the language of climate change just to talk about pollution today. But I just wanted to get your take on that. Yeah, that's a great point. And we really try to frame the issue as clean air, clean water, and a healthy planet for future generations, because that's really what we're fighting for. Pollution is a major issue. Who doesn't want clean air and clean water and leave their kids with the planet better than they found it? So the words climate change have become this like, you know, divisive wording, but clean water, clean air is not. Have you found that you've been in specific conversations, either some of these one-on-one conversations you've been having, or perhaps when you've been in DC, where simply by changing the language a little bit, you do start to connect differently with people? Absolutely. There's certain words that that really get under people's skins. And and so, and then again, it's about like, when we go to Capitol Hill, it's like 70% of our meetings are with moderate Republicans that we think can maybe, you know, they're, again, they're the keys to us going all in as a country on embracing this clean energy future. And so we do everything we can in, you know, walking in their office. Oh my God, I love, you know, generally we're with people from that region. They got pictures on the wall of mountains. There's probably someone in the room that's climbed that mountain. Or So we try to really connect on it from the landscapes and, and again, a, a healthy outdoors. You talk about in the film, it comes up, politics has kind of turned into sports or entertainment, right? I found myself thinking so much in recent years, like, I just want really boring, smart, respectable politicians. Like, I want vanilla and mundane. And honestly, what I found myself thinking is like, I don't want to hate the other side. Yeah. And what's it going to take for us to get into a culture where it's like, okay, whatever team I'm on, you know, those are my folks. And I disagree perhaps on some of the policies with the other side, but they're good people. They're respectable people. They're smart people. It just feels like we're so far away from this right now. And I don't know how we change that culture aside from maybe starting to just collectively do our best to vote in respectable people again wherever you fall on the spectrum but like i'm like does this just sound like some fairy tale land what are your thoughts on this yeah well i mean you're talking like basic civility of that reaching across the aisle i mean i think as a country we can look at some of the greatest things we've done is when people have reached across the aisle and come together on issues and and respecting each other. And the the reality is, is like, it's all about this like soundbite, 140 character, almost like shock politics going on right now. 
I don't know. I think it's just going to take just a really special leaders. I, I think is is that. It's so, I mean, you can do it. Like I've given enough talks. Like I know how to get a crowd riled up. You know, you start like really degrading another side to, you know, that, that one side that has those strong views, they get really excited. And, and I guess for me, it's just, that's not who I am as a person. And when we went into this film and talking to these professional climate skeptics and stuff, it's like, Instead of going in like one, they're professional debaters. They do it all day long. They're soundbite machines and they're moving so fast. I'm like, I am not going to out-debate this person. And so I'm like playing games in myself. Like, I wonder if I can like find areas that I can agree on with this person that like is so much of their work makes me sick to my stomach. It, it's just not, you know, they're trying, they could, they, you know, want the opposite of what I want. As much as like we would go like push him on this issue, it's just it's not who I am. Like I can find common ground with almost anyone. I don't ever want to get drawn into this area where I lose like cordial discourse with people. And now, mind you, I love a good debate. I mean, you come to the Jones family dinner table at Christmas and I mean, there's a lot of, you know, loud debating going on at the table, but it's still cordial and civil. This has got to be one of the things, right? If you've already got, now you're talking about a family, right? Literally your family. Well, you already have that level of trust and respect and love. And when you start there, turns out you kind of are freed up to be like, that's an idiotic idea. And here's why. And you're not, you know, that person isn't directly attacking you. But I think what we are in a culture of right now is more and more we are talking to strangers. There literally has been no connection yet. And at that point, right, it's just when you disagree with me, now you are, it's different. Like you are coming after me. This is a dynamic I don't think we're talking enough about in like any walk of society. And I find that really troubling. We're like doing humanity badly, right? Like we're living badly. We've lost how to talk. And if we don't correct that, none of this other stuff is getting corrected. I I think one big thing for me that's been important is to understand what has created these people with opposing views on climate. Uh, There's a podcast drilled that goes back to the early memos from the fossil fuel industry on like, hey, this is a problem. We need to address it. We need to get people, you know, on a different narrative. They focused on certain demographics and certain regions and have done this. They invented the advertorial where every week they do an article in there explaining you know, looks like real editorial stuff, but it's paid for. And so they've been very effective at creating these angry climate deniers. And it's, I mean, now I spot them and I'm like, oh, they're all in the same age demographic. They're all white. They're all, you know, a lot of them from these similar regions. So I understand where, what created these people and made them so angry and have such different 
views than me. So then I'm no longer just think they're these horrible humans. Again, they're consuming this advertorial denial campaign information and it's and it works. Uh, you spend that much money and for that many years and you're going to get some people really fired up and, and supporting your false narrative for lack of better term. What's our way around that? Like, how do we break that culture? Or there's going to continue to be that till the end of time. So what's our best approach? What do we do? Well, youth is a huge thing that, you know, where I get optimism is like in this 18 to 35 year old, traditionally not a great voting turnout demographic, which is why we see when you see a politician in Congress or talking on TV, they traditionally are talking to a 65 to 85 year old person because those are the they their voter turnout is incredible. And they know that's how they're getting reelected. They're not afraid of 20-year-olds voting traditionally. They're not working for 25-year-olds. They have no concern on what a 25-year-old thinks. Through Protect Our Winners, which is why we use these athletes and influencers and why it's on social media where the these younger demographics are, if we can get them to to turn out the vote, you know, we know just saying the word vote and getting a new voter to vote, there's a 80 to 90% chance they're going to vote how we want them to. And that's where my optimism comes from. Where the, you know, that demographic is way more plugged in than, than I was at, at 22, 24 years old. And, and I think that they understand that they better get active than they are. We've got an election coming up right now, which you've just said, like we want to mobilize younger people, get them plugged in, get them voting, let them be heard. Is that kind of the one goal and only goal right now? Like, is this a time for you to just be laser focused on that? Or how are you thinking about many of the huge issues that we've just touched on in the last few minutes here? And your kind of priorities for yourself and and for Protect Our Winners? Yeah, I mean, my focus right now absolutely is to get that really that traditional non-voter or say moderate to say, you know what, we need to act on climate right now and I'm inspired to vote. So that that's my, it's kind of like we're climbing in a mountain and over the next 60 days, like we're looking at this major crux of November 3rd and how can we gather as much info and set ourselves up for success to kind of pull through that that crux and do it safely. And also, as we talk about it, protect our winners, this 50 million outdoor enthusiasts also aren't traditionally great voters. And so getting through that and it's a, you know, the voting thing. And, and as I'm sure, you know, people will be like, I get it, I'm going to vote. But we, you know, it, it's really hard to get a non-voter to vote. It's really hard to protect our winners in 2018. We put a ton of energy and first getting people out to pledge to vote where they'd have to kind of sign up or send themselves a, a postcard or, you know, state and go through this process to pledge to vote and then ideally vote. The fall off, we had only 30% of those people that said, I'm going to vote actually 
went out and voted. So it's this challenging. And then you add in the pandemic, which is making voting more tricky than ever before. And then not by chance, it's really complicated in these purple states, which is why this make a damn plan POW tool is so critical because, you know, it walks you through to the point where like, all of a sudden you need a printer, like we come in, we can print that for you. You need a stamp. We have a stamp for you. Like we can make sure that you can vote. Let's say you're happy with the way the election goes. I'm curious if you have clear thoughts about what that means for POW's directive at that point. And then of course the flip question, if we don't get out, And we screw up and those of us saying, yep, we're going to vote and we don't. Have you already thought through both of those scenarios and how you would react in either event? So again, to put it into like mountain climbing terms, like we're entering this no fall zone. I'm really good at mentalizing um, that like duty at hand. So we are laser focused on that to have success uh, November 3rd. Moving forward, we, you know, it's not like, oh, we the election went where we wanted to go. I mean, we still need to push for action, say 10 years from now. Are we going to say, oh, you know what? We overreacted on this climate stuff. And now we have a bunch of clean energy. The air is cleaner. The water is cleaner. We probably could have like backed off on that. Or are we going to say, damn, I wish we did more sooner? And hopefully it's the second. That would be a great mistake to have. We're in a climate emergency. The reality is, is we are on this 30-year track to move off of fossil fuels. It's just economically becoming less and less viable. The cheapest form of energy is clean energy. If you want to bring new energy online right now, we are... We're going there. It's smart business. It's creating a bunch of jobs. It's making a bunch of people a lot of money. That's the optimism. We have so many of the solutions, but we're fighting this antiquated system that is the most powerful industry on the planet that is trying to just reap every last ounce of profit at the cost of a healthy planet for future generations. And we just need to to speed that up because, you know, we're in the 11th hour on this. I accept that answer of we're in a no-fall zone because in a no-fall zone, you're not thinking three moves down the line. Like, uh, I, I actually think that's real fair. Before I let you get going, circling back to Purple Mountains, I'd be interested to hear a little more about just any particularly memorable moments that were either captured on air in the film or that we're kind of off camera, but it's a really interesting thing you did just to go around and have some like cordial conversations. Any moments stand out to you when you reflect back on some of those conversations? Yeah. I mean, I think um, what's not in the film, I guess, like a good little bit of an origin story. So the first trip I went out to rural Nevada, I'm like, we just got to get in the mountains and, try to meet people at the trailhead or what have you. And 
So I go out with Tim Eddy, Max Hammer, Gray Thompson, Ming Poon. We go out for a winter camping trip and we're getting our stuff ready. And I'm just like trying to find people at the trailhead to like make a connection to before I go into the mountains. That's where we meet who I consider the star of the film, this guy, Danny, who's a hard rock coal miner, awesome split border. And we get talking he ends up you know hiking with us that day as we're moving deeper in the mountains for camp so we have a good trip and then we're you know i get his number i'm like sweet that was good i have a great day with him just getting to camp three or four days later we're coming out of the mountains we're you know definitely beat up and we have to we got a car up the road and we're hitchhiking trying to get it and what have you but uh, and it's getting dark out and I'm still we're like, just look for any skiers or snowboarders. And my buddy gets the car. He's like, oh, there's a, these women coming down um, that were backcountry skiing and look for them. And I'm like waiting for them and they come by and I like flag them down and like, hey, what's up? Uh, and I'm like totally having this conversation. I'm like, have you ever heard of Protect Our Winners? And I'm like, could I, where do you guys hang out? And can I get your phone number? <laughs> and <laughs> I'm just like trying to find like a footprint in the area of deal. And then they're like, oh, we're going to this bar for um, this where like we all hang out is at this bar at the bottom of the pass and so we go to the bar and I mean you pull up and there's a Trump flag outside there's a antlers with a Trump hat on and I'm a um vegan as well and we're joking and like god I remember there's anything to eat there and we pull in there and and but they could tell we just got out of the mountains and they're like psyched on and they're like oh these guys should we they learn what we do and these guys you know they're in trump hats fox news on the on the tv the whole time and it's just trump 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 you know we joke or like oh they'll probably be a vegetarian uh op- you know burger on the menu so they know who to who to kick out of the place and uh so i'm like can i have the vegetarian burger and the woman you know like hardcore older woman she's like oh yeah it's great i'm a vegan and i'm like you know it's just an example of like oh and i have this like incredible veggie vegan burger we totally hit it off with these guys we end up drinking beers for a long time get a bunch of phone numbers and that's really like where we first made these connections to these people who have become friends of ours but the fear of just walking into a bar is um, with a Trump flag on it and, and that deal is it shouldn't be that scary. And inevitably, it was not. There was, you know, we had a great night with them. I do hope at least that we are in a time where more and more stories are being told. Hopefully, m- People will be willing and eager to have more conversations. We just got to break down some of these prejudices, some of these biases, be willing to walk up to a fellow human being. How you doing? What's going on? It's such a basic thing to say, but man, if if we did gain some of that and some empathy maybe and got out of this stupid year with that 
elevated maybe this maybe 2020 can be remembered uh, on a higher note you know in some ways i i think that gets kind of to the heart of what you lay out and demonstrate in purple mountains i'm really excited for people to see this because like i said i i still come back to i think that it is really critical in our society and probably in a lot of others around the world we have got to see more modeling of this behavior of how to talk to people and how to interact. And if the comment sections aren't demonstrating this very well, then we've got to find some other folks modeling this for us. And I think, uh, I think Purple Mountains is one step in that direction. I got to say, while it's really fun watching you snowboard down gnarly lines in some of your other films, this one in a way stands out among all of your films for me, because I just don't see a lot of this going on. So thank you. Well, I appreciate that. Cause this, I mean, this has been a terrifying film on many reasons. First, like, am I really making a movie that really has very little snowboarding and I have to like carry it as this actor. And in the past we make these movies and we're like, all right, that's been enough talking. Just show the guy almost dying and, and wake you know, so with some Metallica and wake up the audience. And with this, we, we can't go there, but I will say, you know, I did wish I had more time to meet more people. The pandemic, you know, kept us out of, um, I was really looking forward to go to the Midwest. And for me, for sure, I've learned um, a lot in the making of it and will, you know, continue to talk to people with, with, you know, wearing a different color than, you know, on maybe on a different team than I am and, and find that common ground because we need to, as you said at the beginning, team planet earth, man, there's, we're not getting there without together and this whole bickering back and forth, it's counterproductive and it's, one way or another, we not only as a country, but as a planet need to get moving in the right direction on climate action. The film comes out September 16th. People can find the film where? It's on purplemountainfilms.com. It's also linked in my social profile, Protect Our Winners, what have you. Great. Well, Jeremy, thank you. Excited for people to see this. Sounds like you're going to be busy between now, I'm guessing November 3rd, and sure hope people go actually vote for the things you care about and believe in. And let's be heard. I think that's how democracy is supposed to work. We're supposed to go way in. So uh, let's do that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. Love the show and honored to be part of it. Well, thank you. And we'll talk to you soon. Cheers. That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Thanks to Jeremy for the conversation. And remember that you can catch more great conversations over on our other podcasts, including Off the Couch, Bikes and Big Ideas, and Gear 30. And you can find all of those on our Blister website or wherever you download your podcasts. I also want to say thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. Now, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we will talk to you again real soon.